This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey everybody, good evening, it is great to see you guys, happy Sunday night. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin, and if it's your first time here, I want to say just a special welcome to you. I'm so glad you chose to come and to be here with us this evening, uh, to spend your time with us this Sunday as we get ready for a brand new week. I know God wants to meet you here. And for those of you who it's your second time here, which is everybody else, because we just started two weeks ago, uh, an extra special welcome to you. You know, glad you came, glad you came back for a second time. We're, we're getting a rhythm, we're getting on a roll here. It's very exciting. God's doing something. For those of you who just got back from your honeymoon, you just got married a week and a half ago, go. Welcome to you as well. Uh, So glad that you are here. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I won't say who it is because they're my tech people and they'll mess with me later on if I say anything else. Um, By way of getting us all on the same page, the goal of this Sunday evening and the goal of every Sunday evening is to kind of create this free-flowing atmosphere where you're just open and available to connect with God because he wants to meet with you and we don't want to do anything to get in the way of that. So we created this kind of flow where we have worship. There are communion tables all around the auditorium at any point throughout the evening. You can get up and take communion. And someone asked me, well, what if you're right in the middle of your message and someone says they want to get up and take communion? I'll say, well, then God must be stirring you to get up and take communion. So go for it. I'd rather have that than your phone ring. And that happens all the time when I preach. So, you know, it's like, just go ahead and do it. Um, so we have tables all around. If you want to take communion at any point, we're going to have some worship later. Just get up and, and honor Christ, honor sacrifice with us through communion. Uh, another way we want to flow this is um, at the end of the service. We have these great connect cards. They say start here on the front. They say New Life Connect card on the back. At some point this evening, go ahead and fill that out. If you're a regular part of New Life, just give us your name. If you're new to New Life, give us as much information as you're comfortable giving us so that we can both connect with you and most importantly, we can help you connect with God because that's really why we're here, to help you connect with God. So go ahead and fill that out. Put prayer requests on there. There's ways for you to respond uh, to the message we're talking about this evening, and you can do that on there as well. And then at the end of the evening, when you're leaving, there are these big metal containers in the back. There's three of them to be exact in the back of the auditorium. They're not the recycling bins. Those are blue and short. These are big metal containers. We want you just to drop your connect card and drop your tithes and offerings if you came prepared to give. You just drop those two things in the container, and we'll take care of that. We'll sort everything out, and we'll connect with you this week. But that's part of how we're trying to flow this evening uh, so we don't have too many stops and starts. So what you need to do for me so we can make sure this is actually working is everyone just fill out your connect card, drop it in the back, and if you came prepared to give, just as a way of saying, you know what, God, you've given so much to me, and I want to give a portion of that back to you because I know that it all comes from you, so I want to give back to you. If you can, prepared to do that, you can put that in the containers in the back as well. Well, we are in week two of what has been so far a really, really exciting series. It's a series called Servolution, and what we're doing is we're sharing God's love and changing lives through simple acts of kindness. And we're going to be talking about what it looks like to serve in the church, in our city, and around the world in the weeks that come this summer. But what we wanted to do to start this off was to talk about 
who we are, who I am at my core, because we learned last week that who I am at my core affects what I do with my life. So for example, I am childish to my core, and therefore I do childish things, like play the air guitar when the worship team is practicing, and run around and, you know, kick my heels up, things like that, just ridiculous stuff, because at my core, I am kind of a big kid. Um, But the Bible says that even deeper than me being a big kid, and even deeper than you being whoever you think you are, at your core, the Bible says you are a priest. Anyone who's following after God with your life, the Bible says that you are a priest of God. And as a priest, you have two main jobs in this life. And you might have a lot of different vocations or hobbies, but you have two main jobs. One is to fall in love with God, to do everything you can just to encounter Him in an incredible way. And then the second job you have is to bring other people with you, to help other people encounter God. And we do it in all kinds of different ways. But we have to know that who God says I am, God says that I'm chosen. He says that you're chosen. He says that you're holy. He says that you are a royal priesthood called by him, not because of anything you've done, but because he is a loving God who's called us back to himself. And who I am affects what I do. Because you're a priest, that means that you fall in love with God, and that means that you draw other people into his presence in a servolutionary sort of way, that it helps people with our words and our actions experience the love of Jesus Christ. And it's an incredible calling that God's given you. So that was last week. Who I am affects what I do. This week, we're going to talk about what's going on in my heart affects how I do it. And we have some teaching notes. If you're a note taker, you can go ahead and pull out those notes inside your program. We're going to talk and really discover and explore the reality that whatever is happening in my heart shapes how I do what I do. So who I am shapes what I do, but what's happening in my heart at any given moment shapes how I do it. And this is a really important question. What's going on in my heart at any given moment? Because the reality is, and I don't want this for you, and God doesn't want this for you, but the reality is you could spend your entire life serving God. You could spend your entire life serving people, but if you don't have the right stuff in your heart, you're going to end up bitter and angry and frustrated, and you're going to end up pushing God away from you. And if you have the wrong stuff going on in your heart when you serve, what's going to happen is you are going to repel people from God, and that would break God's heart, both because He loves you and wants an intimate relationship with you, and because He loves people. So this is a really important topic. Has you ever been around someone who knew all the right things to say? Maybe they were an expert in their field. They knew all the right things to say, all the right things to do. But for some reason, they just bugged you. They just rubbed you the wrong way. They were the kind of guy that nobody wants to be around, the guy that sat by himself in the lunchroom because he was a know-it-all. Even though he knew all the right stuff, something was going on. And what that something was, you couldn't really even put your hands around it, put your mind around it. But whatever it was, it pushed you away from him. It repelled you. Well, the Bible says the same thing happens with us. We can know all the right things. We can say all the right things. And to be honest, we can even do all the right things. But if we don't have the right things in our heart when we do them, we're going to end up pushing God away, and we're going to end up pushing people away from God. Uh, The Bible says in Matthew chapter 15, he says, the things that proceed out of our mouths, that come out of my mouth, come from inside my heart. That's Jesus talking. Because the heart is incredibly important. He says, you've got to know that whatever you say, whatever you do, the way you serve, that's a key, that's a window into what's actually happening inside your heart. I was meeting with a gal a couple weeks ago, and she came to church a few, on the baptism Sunday we had on a Sunday morning about three weeks ago, and I was talking about Jonah chapter 4, and I was talking about how God is both full of love, 100% love, and full of grace, 100% grace. And he's truth and grace, and these two um, feel like they're mutually exclusive. Like you can't be full of truth and full of grace, but somehow God is both of those 
100% of the time. And she was really intrigued by that. So she called us up a meeting with me. She hadn't been to church in a long, long, long time. She said, Kevin, I got to tell you, what you said about God, I've never really heard before. And I'm not sure I'm so certain on God. I'm open to the idea that he might be there. He might be real. But here's the deal. I've been around Christians. I haven't been around God too much, but I've been around Christians. And I don't like them. They are hypocrites. They're fake. They say one thing. They do another. I've had really bad experiences as a child. She's my age now in her early 30s. I've had really bad experiences as a child. And I don't know if I can engage with God because of the Christian. She said, I even have that bumper sticker that says, God, save me from your followers. That's, you know, that's her mindset. She said, you know, I just, I don't know if I can do it. Here's something cool she said, though. She said, hey, but I came to your church, and for the first time ever, I wasn't totally weirded out by the people there. So, hey, way to go, guys. <laughs> Kudos to you. Kudos to you. Well done. Because she, I guarantee she was weirded out by me because I'm a weird guy. Um, but she wasn't weirded out by you. But here's the deal. You've got these people in your lives. They say, you know what, I've given God a chance. But what they really mean is I've, I've been to church a few times, and the Christians I met there, there was a disconnect between what they said and even between what they did and their hearts. And so I think they're hypocrites because they say one thing and they do one thing, but the way that they say it, how they say it, comes from a place that's anywhere other than love. And so people are driven, driven away from God. They're driven away from church when the whole point of our lives is to draw people to God. And by the way, if you're here today and you've had a bad experience with Christians, I want to say something. If you feel like Christians are hypocrites and they've burned you in the past, I just want to tell you, I'm really sorry. No disclaimer, no, no reasoning behind it. I can't try to explain it away. We can be jerks sometimes. And I'm really sorry. I really am. I'm sorry you've had a bad experience with Christians. But I'll say this too. I'm really glad you chose to come today. And I want to say thanks. Thanks for giving us a chance, because you know what? We're not all that weird. We're kind of fun. We're kind of cool to be around, and we're trying to experience God. And so I would, I would ask you just to try to let go of some of the things that have hurt you in the past, because I am really sorry about that. And I would ask that you would open yourself up, because I think God might want to speak to you today. And then I would say this, if God does speak to you today, become the kind of person that will draw other people to God. Become the kind of Jesus follower that's not a hypocrite and make the change. So the thing that's missing, the thing that we cannot miss, but the thing that too often over the history of the church that Christians have missed is simply this. It's, it's love. Love is missing. Love in our hearts is missing. And we say love and love's been overused, love's been abused. That's why 12-year-old kids tell their boyfriend or girlfriend, I love you, and, you know, hey, baby, I love you forever. And then two months later, they break up. They, we don't know what love is, okay? Like, let's be honest. Like, I tell my wife, hey, I love you, Maria. I love you so much. But, I, you know, I also love Super Burritos from El Tapatio and Runner Park, and they give <laughs> gift cards. Um, I do. I just, I love it. If I'm good, if I'm a good preacher tonight, maybe I'll get one. Um, but how can I say that? I love my wife. I love my kids. I love Super Burritos. I love soccer, and I'm really sad that the United States didn't make the Olympics. Like, how can I say I love all these things? Well, it's simple. We only have one word for love in our language. Love. And we mean all kinds of different things. We mean like, desire, hope, all these different kind of things. But in the Bible, there are a number of different words for love, and I want to talk about a specific kind of love in the Bible. A love that isn't, uh, isn't just a feeling. It's more than a feeling. A love that drives us to action. A servolutionary kind of love. A love that transforms us. See, at the heart of a servolutionary is a love that the Bible calls, in the Greek language, agape love. And agape love just means this. It's a love that puts 
the best interest of you before me. Puts the, 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 the hopes, the dreams, the best interest of another person, of you before me. That's servolutionary love. That's what God wants to fill our hearts with. And Paul talks about this kind of love in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 because he's writing this letter to this group of people in the city called Corinth. And we have to understand that Corinth was a major city in the ancient world. It was a big trading city. Uh, it was, uh, it was a, a rough city. It was a morally bankrupt city. Uh, it was the kind of city that if it was around today, you would say what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. I mean, that's the kind of city that we're talking about. Uh, Corinth had its own gods and goddesses, but the main goddess of Corinth was the goddess Aphrodite, and she was the goddess of love. And so she had a thousand priestesses that worked in her temple in Corinth, but what they were actually in reality was they were temple prostitutes. And this is kind of how they operated there. You could go into the temple, you could have sex with the temple prostitute, and that was your way of worshiping the goddess. This is how mixed up love got in Corinth. And it was just this weird, funky, rough, morally bankrupt place. And right into that, Paul starts right into this church because the church has two major issues in Corinth. One, uh, they look a lot like the rest of the Corinthians. They look like the rest of the people. They're doing the things the rest of the people did. So they've experienced Jesus, but instead of like giving their lives to him completely, they said, you know what, we're going to take our old life and sprinkle a little Jesus on top for some flavor. Well, you know, we're going to come once a week and get our Jesus fixed, but really we're going to live the way we've always lived. We're going to Corinthianize. We're going to be that kind of person. And the second issue they had, second issue they had, was that they started to form factions. Because the truth is, if we're not really loving God, that's what happens in the church. We start to form factions. And so this happened. There were issues about how people should dress when they come to church, and that split the church apart into two different smaller groups. There were issues about who the best preacher was. Some said it was Paul, the writer of this letter. Others said it was this guy, Apollos. And so they were splitting around who the best preacher is. You know, some of you guys think Ron's the best preacher. Some of you think, uh, like my wife thinks I'm, you know, I'm pretty darn good. She thinks I'm cute anyway. Um, By the way, I have people come up to me sometimes, and so does Ron, and they'll say, man, you know, like— They'll say to Ron, I like it when Kevin preaches, but Ron, when you preach, it just speaks to me. And here's what Ron and I always try to say. While we appreciate the compliment, we say, hey, you know what? God called each of us to preach and to speak to different groups of people, but one of us is not better than the other. Because the minute we start to have factions in the church, our church is going to split and separate, and it's no good. But that's what's happening in this church. They're talking about spiritual gifts and who should use certain gifts and certain ministries. It's this big mess. So Paul writes to the people, and he says, you got two big issues. You're living like everybody else, and you're splitting apart the church. And I'm going to answer both those issues with one main thing. And here's the thing. I'm going to answer it with love. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, and that's agape love. That's a love that puts your needs before my needs. If I do not have love, I become a noisy gong. I become a clanging cymbal. You may not know this about me, but I used to be on a worship team when I was 19. I had the bleached hair, I had the earrings, the tongue ring, the whole nine yards. And they let me be on this worship team because I, be, I became a follower of Jesus. And I went to college and all the, the white Christian guys played guitar in college. So I picked up a guitar because I was a white Christian guy at that point. So I started playing my guitar, kicking off my shoes, being all hippie. And, uh, and they said, hey, join our worship team in Roner Park. So I started playing on this worship team and we had a night service and I was no good. I'm still not very good. Um, and my grandfather came from Oregon to this night service to see me play. He'd never seen me play before. I was so excited because Grandpa John was there. And I got up on stage, and I put on my 12-string, and I started playing. And on song two, I remember it like it was yesterday. On song two, we start playing the song, and it sounds horrible. 
I mean really, really bad. And I'm thinking to myself, someone is just sounding awful right now. This is so bad. Someone needs to tell that jerk just to stop playing and play right. This is just, I don't know what's going on. This is horrible. And like three verses in, two verses in, the guy from the other end of the stage walks over to me playing his guitar and he says, you're playing in the wrong key. And yeah, someone was sounding horrible. Some idiot was playing wrong. It was me. Luckily, my grandfather has hearing aids. I think he just turned him down because his grandson was stinking it up. And this is what Paul says happens if we don't have love. He says we can have powerful worship services, passionate worship leaders, gifted, talented people. We can come in and make an incredible noise and raise our hands to the Lord. But if we aren't loving people in a way that puts their needs before our needs on a regular basis, if love is not in our heart, he says it just sounds bad. He says we're singing in the wrong key because our lives are not marked by love. People come into our church and they say you look like hypocrites because your lives aren't marked by love, but your hands are up in the air. He says I have to love. If I sing all these great songs, speak in the tongues of angels, but don't have love, I'm a noisy, clanging Pastor Kevin playing his guitar. He goes on in verse 2 and he says, If I have the gift of prophecy— if I know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I could even remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. He's saying if I'm a gifted teacher and preacher, if I can do miracles and incredible things, but I don't have love, in the end, it's worthless. If I serve and do incredible things, and my ministry just blows up and does great stuff, but I don't really love people, in the end, I'll be pushing away God and I'll be pushing away people. Verse 3, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Because what's going on in our hearts affects how we serve other people. And if we aren't serving them out of love, in the end, it's all for nothing. See, we serve for all kinds of reasons. Some of us serve out of guilt or obligation. Well, if I don't do it, no one else will. You know, we go into kids' life and we serve because we think, what about the children? You know, what if no one helps the children? The little children will run around like crazy. Lord of the flies, it'll be really bad. (laughs) What about the kids? I got to serve because no one else is doing it. In the end, we're just going to become burnt out and bitter if we're serving out of obligation. Some of us serve to escape. We serve to escape our wife or our husband or our kids. We want to get to church as much as we can. It's the same guys that go to watch, you know, watch football in their garage every night because they got to get out of the house. It's the same idea. We do it with a church mindset. I serve to escape, either escape my own junk or escape my family. And if we do that, it's going to get bad in the end. Some of us serve because we think we can do better than everybody else. Man, in my, in my youth, that was the arrogance that started out ministry. I thought, if I just take on this ministry, I'll solve all the world's problems, and the church will be what it should always have been, obviously, because I'm 22 and I know what I'm doing. Man, God slapped me upside the head. That's another story. He slapped me upside the head. But the truth is, Paul says, if we serve for any reason other than to love someone, if our goal is anything other than putting your needs before my needs, then in the end, you're going to be pushed away from God because my attitude's wrong, and I'm going to keep God at a distance. But if I have love, everything changes. And I want to give you some reasons why I think it's so important to have love as the starting place for our servolution. See, servolutionary love reveals that we're experiencing God in our lives. 
John, who writes the book 1 John, says this, We love because God first loved us. His love for us is the starting place, and when we love other people, when we love him, it reveals that he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, get this, cannot, doesn't say will not, it says cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that we, uh, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. I love my job. I love it every day. I love Sundays. They're my favorite day of the week. I love my job because I get to meet people who are living this out. And a lot of you guys are living this out. But I want to tell you one story about my friend Richard. Richard, we just stand up for one quick second so just so they can know who I'm talking about. And Richard would never do this on his own. This is Richard. Give it up for Richard. He's good people. My buddy Richard's been coming to church for about a year and a half now. And he's the kind of guy, he'll tell you this. If you met him five years ago, you would have crossed the street. He's not the guy you wanted to meet in a dark alley. He's a, he's a tough guy. Um, through a number of different experiences, he ended up in prison for a while. And when he was in prison, he, he, someone introduced him to God. And so he got a taste of God. And then he got out of prison, and he was starting to go sideways. And he told me I could share this with you. He started to go sideways. And right in the midst of it, God just pulled him to new life. He said, you've got to go to church, because if you don't, it will kill you. It'll kill you. And he came to church and he experienced the love of God and it transformed him. This guy is one of the most loving guys I know. I would leave my kids with him. Uh, I would trust him with anybody in here. He's an incredible guy. Not only does he come during the week and clean this place to make it perfect for us, clean the bathrooms, do all sorts of stuff. He's a greeter all the time. He's welcoming people in. He sets up the tables for us, pulls down chairs, puts up chairs. He's on our prayer team, so he spends hours in prayer for you guys every week. And then he comes to me most weeks and says, hey, God put this person on my heart. What can I do to serve them and to meet this need for them? Why? Because he's experienced the love of God and it changed his life. John says, amen. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. He's a testament, and you, so many of you are testaments to the reality that we love because God first loved us. And when we experienced his love, it changed the way that we love others. That's why we do it. And we serve uh, because we, if we serve, um, we serve loving because if we served any way other than loving, ultimately it leaves us burnt out and bitter. And that's the next, the next thing I want to talk about, because the truth is, some of us in here maybe need to hear this. We serve because we ought to. We serve because we need to. We serve because there's a need. We serve because the pastor says we should. We serve because we're gifted. We serve for all kinds of reasons. But the truth is, if we serve for any reason other than we deeply love individual people, I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and God's gifted me to serve in our community. If we serve for any other reason, in the end, we're just going to get burnt out and bitter. And you all know those kind of people because you've been around them in the church or in the workplace where they've served for 20 years because that's what they do. And they're angry and they're bitter and they say things like, man, church would be great if it wasn't for all the people. You know, if we just could keep these structures going without the folks, man, it would be fantastic. And we serve because the watching world is waiting to see what servolutionary love looks like. Because you have coworkers. You have people in this church that you don't even know are watching you. And they want to see what real love looks like. They want to see it on Sunday morning. They want to see it on Sunday night. They want to see it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and even Saturday night. They want to see what real love looks like. 
So I want to close with a few ideas on how we can grow in our servolutionary love. And um, I've really been trying to grow in, in my love for individual people because I love people in a big picture. Like I love God's people because God loves people. And I love seeing the mission go forward. But I've been asking God, grow my love for individual people. And so I've been trying to grow in this. So I've got some ideas for me. But I asked our staff team last week, hey, how do you grow in your love for people? Because our staff team is some pretty loving people. They haven't arrived, but they're pretty darn good. So I asked them, how do you grow in your love for people? And Justin, our worship leader, he said this. He said, you know, one of the ways I grow is that I change the way that I think about people. Justin's a thinker. He processes things up here. He says, I got to change the way I think about people if I'm going to love people. And Romans 12, chapter 2 says this. Paul says, um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what Justin does. He says, I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I need to see people the way God sees people. Because in the world, the world says, serve when it's convenient. You know, if you can come once a month and serve, great. God loves you. He's so excited that you're serving once a month. You know, that's great. You know, he's just waiting. Oh, I hope you can make it. Um, The world says, serve people you like. Serve people who are like you. The world says, serve when it benefits you. You know, serving kids' life because finally you have kids in kids' life and they need people to serve, so I'm going to serve because it benefits me. But God says, God says, serve people because I created them in my image and because I love them. So Justin said, I need to reframe my mind and I needed to see people as incredibly valuable because God created them in his image and God loves them. And then I asked, and, and Angela said this, now, she's one of our staff workers, a great gal. She is incredibly loving to people. And she said, you know what I do? I pray for God to break my heart for the things that break his. She said, I ask God for opportunities uh, to, to love people the way that he loves them. And then I look for ways to love them. I just keep my eyes open. I say, God, show me someone to love. Show me how to love them. And then I look for ways to love them. And then the last one is one that I, I've been growing in and I've been working on and that our team has as well is have an encounter experience with someone. Before I had kids, this is a true, true, honest confession here from your pastor. Before I had kids, uh, if I was preaching and your kids started crying in church, it would annoy me a little bit. I gotta be honest, it would annoy me a little bit. But then I had kids, and guess whose kids cried in church? This guy. So now I know what it's like to have kids who cry in church. So when your kids cry in church... It's okay. I love it. It's like music, baby. Let it happen. I feel like I'm home. Why? Because I've had an encounter experience with kids. Before I had kids, kids bothered me if they were getting in the way of what I was trying to do. Now that I've encountered kids, I know the gift that they are, and I love your kids more because God gave me kids. That's why those of you who have been on overseas missions trips, we tell you, you've got to go on a short-term trip. Go, because when you encounter people in one place, it will change the way you view people in all places. You'll bring it home, and you'll be changed. Next week, we're going to have a ministry fair. So you're going to come in here next Sunday night, and all around the church, there are going to be uh, tables with ministry set up. And at the end of the service, we're going to talk about what it looks like that God shaped us in a certain way to do a certain kind of ministry that brings life. Real life, full life, lasting life. And then we're going to give you a chance to go and talk to ministry leaders all around the church and get plugged into a ministry. And I want to say this to you. If you have a hard time loving kids or you want to grow in your love for kids, join children's ministry and allow God to grow your heart. If you have a hard time um, loving people who are falling upon hard times, if they feel more like a project than a person to you, 
Join our Fifth Tuesday ministry or join our Loaves and Fishes ministry and start coming face-to-face with people who are going through difficult times so they're not just widgets on a board. They are human beings with stories. If you're scared to death and have a hard time meeting new people, if your ideal Sunday night is to get here before anyone else shows up and come find your seat right in the front, join our guest services team and pass out programs and come face-to-face with people because they're not as scary as you think. And guess what? If they're new, they're probably more scared of you than you are of them. And if they bite you, tell me. I have refreshments at the back table if they're hungry and thirsty. That's a joke. If they bite you, tell me. And I will laugh and laugh because that would be hilarious. But have an encounter experience. By the way, this isn't just for ministry. If you want to grow in love for your spouse, do the things they like to do. Have an encounter experience. Get to know them again. If, you, if you're having a hard time with your kids, do something your kids like to do. Spend time with them. Have an encounter experience. If you have a hard time liking your classmates or loving your classmates, go to where they are. Do what they want to do. Have an encounter experience. It will grow your love for them. As we wrap up, I want to give you some ways to put this into practice because the truth is, it can't stay in our head. It has to go from our head to our heart. And when we love the way God calls us to love, it's going to go out through our hands and our feet. So grab that Connect card that I mentioned to you earlier. And on the back of it, it says there's some ways to apply today's teachings. And I just want to give you some opportunities to apply. Just some simple things you can do this week to help you put this stuff into practice. The first is some of us need to reprogram our minds. We need to see people the way God sees people. We need to love people the way God loves people. If you need to do that, then this first one is for you. You need to get into God's word every day. You need to get into the Bible. That's how God says our minds are reprogrammed to get on the things of God. So if you haven't done that, if you're not in God's word every day, mark that down. Get in his word. We'll be praying for you that God can really meet you there. Maybe some of us need to pray for an encounter experience. God will answer that prayer. So go ahead and mark that down and then be open. And that marks the third one. When the encounter experience comes, do it. No matter where you're going, even if you're going to Starbucks or going to work or coming home, when God brings that encounter experience, you have to do it and allow him to change your life and allow him to change your heart. If we do that, then we will experience a servolution that actually draws us to God and draws people to God. And that's really why we're here. And if we don't do it, and I don't want this for anybody We'll get to the end of our lives and we'll feel like we've been serving God. We've been doing it for God. And God's this cruel taskmaster up here that makes us do a bunch of stuff we don't want to do. And we'll be burnt out and bitter and angry. And God wants anything but that for you. He wants us to be servolutionaries and through that service to be drawn back to him. Remember, 1 John says that we love because God first loved us. And if you're here tonight and you've never experienced God's love like that, A love that does not wait for you to love him first, but he loves you right where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from. If you've never experienced God's love like that, in just a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you a chance to commit your life to Christ. And here's what that means. It means that you're saying, you know what, God? I've tried it on my own, and it's not working for me. I've tried to live life apart from you, but today I'm sensing and realizing that you want more for me than what I've experienced so far. It means saying that I believe that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. If you want to know more about what that looks like, come talk to me afterwards. Because the Bible says that we've sinned, we've left God, we've walked away from him. And in that, we hurt ourselves, we hurt other people, and we hurt him. But he says that Jesus Christ, God's son, died on a cross to forgive us of our sins so that we could be drawn back to him. And it means saying, you know what, God, from this day forward, 
All that I am and all that I have is yours. And you tell me where to go and I'll go. You tell me when to go and I'll go. You tell me who to love and I'll love them. If you sense God calling you to do that, I'm going to pray. And you can pray a simple prayer with me. I'll tell you when. You can just whisper it right where you are. And you can invite God to be the Lord of your life. So first, I'm going to pray for everybody in the church that God creates a heart of love for us. And I'm going to pray. And if you haven't made a decision to give your life to Jesus, or if at one point you were close to God, but you've walked away from him, and you sense him calling you back today, then you can commit your life to him. When I invite you to, you can pray a simple prayer with me by just whispering it where you sit. So would you join me as we pray? Lord, would you show us what it looks like to serve with a heart that truly loves? Because we realize that what is going on in our heart affects how we do the things that we do. And we want to do the things that we do in a way that draws us close to you, in a way that draws other people close to you. So Lord, would you help us to love the way that you love? Would you help us to love other people the way that you have loved us? And would you help us to serve with a heart of love so that at the end of our lives, not only would we have lives that are worthy of telling stories about, but we would have lives that through service have drawn us closer to you. So would you give us encounter experiences this week? Would you open us up to places where you would want us to serve within the church, within the city, and around the world as we head into the ministry fair and beyond in these coming weeks? Would you give us the courage to say yes to you? And as we continue to pray, if you're here tonight and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I mean a passionate relationship where he's called you to himself, you know it, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, you've told him to follow him wherever he calls you to go a real intimate relationship. If you've never done that, but you sense God calling you today, then I want to tell you today's your day. God couldn't love you more than he does. He created you. He knows you. He has incredible plans for your life. And he's just waiting for you to say yes and to come to him. So if you sense him calling you now, you can whisper the simple prayer and you can just whisper it right where you sit. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and rose again to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you've made a way back to God. And today, I say yes. I say yes to this life that you've called me to. I say yes to relationship with you. I say yes, I'll follow you wherever you lead me. Because God, I know you're real and I know you're here. And God, I want what you want from my life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Before we, we're going to go into a time of worship and communion, but before we do that, I do want to note one more thing that I forgot to tell you earlier. If you come back here on the 29th, you can play the music, it's cool. If you come back here on the 29th, we will not be here. On the 29th, we're having a citywide service that we call Together Service, where about 13 different churches in Petaluma are joining together at the fairgrounds. In your program, it talks all about the Together Service. So read in there, find out about it. I'll be outside playing ball with my little girl on the 29th of July. And if you want to come play ball with us, I guess show up at church. That's fantastic. We'll play together. But otherwise, do everything you can to go at 11 o'clock to the Together Service at the fairgrounds. It's going to be an incredible time. Like I say, more information is in your program about that, and you can talk to me about that afterwards. Why don't we stand up so we continue to worship the Lord together. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.